Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Berenberg is one of Europe's oldest private banking and wealth management firms, founded in 1590. But it didn't have an ESG investment platform until four years ago, when our podcast guest was hired to launch the ESG office at Berenberg Wealth and Asset Management. Today, we're going to find out how some of Europe's largest institutions and asset owners are integrating sustainable and ESG investments into their portfolio strategies. I'm glad to welcome Rupini Rajagopalan, head of the ESG office at Berenberg Wealth and Asset Management to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Welcome, Rupini. Thank you, Paul, for having me, and it's a pleasure to be here. I'm very glad you could join us today. Rupini, Berenberg's approach to active investment management combines proxy voting and engagement with companies to encourage sustainable business practices over the long term. This approach also increases transparency. It improves the sustainability profile of companies, and it reduces investment risks. How has your firm's inclusion of ESG analytics contributed to investment performance since the ESG office was launched in 2018? Sure, Paul. As you had correctly mentioned, we launched the ESG office only in 2018. However, Berenbeck, we are actually the second oldest bank in the world, and we have been managing, I would say, successfully sustainable mandates for charities and foundations for decades. So the creation of the ESG office was to, in essence, streamline and further enhance our ESG strategies and to basically get in line with market developments. So in essence, we already had an understanding of what ESG was and how we could use ESG information in our portfolios. However, though we had that foundation, we still needed to lay the bricks and enhance the structure. So in 2018, I was brought in to set up the ESG office. And since then, we have signed up to the PRI, which is the Principles of Responsible Investment, backed by the UN. Um, we've created our own ESG policies, engagement policies, and even able to provide our own recommendations for proxy voting using our very own proxy voting policy. So even before the creation of our ESG policies, all our stakeholders had numerous rounds or even months, I would say, of discussions to try and understand and define what does number one, ESG integration mean to us? Number two, how can we implement this? And most importantly, Paul, what is our overall ESG philosophy? Now, let me directly here answer your question. I know that was a bit long-winded, but with us, with ESG integration, we get an overall more holistic and complete picture of investment risks. Now, as you had clearly mentioned earlier, our active ownership approach to us transports our view on ESG requirements and best practices, which is especially relevant to the ESG involvement in our view of small and mid-cap companies. I'll talk about this later on in detail on why we think this is important, because we feel that small and mid-cap companies small and mid-cap companies, they have been, I would say, disproportionately, they suffer from fixed rating frameworks. And we've actually last year released a paper on this that talks about the small and mid-cap dilemmas. 
Now, if you don't mind, I would like to go on a little bit more because I feel that this is important to give the listeners a view of an understanding of Berenbeck's ESG philosophy. And for us, we have developed our own philosophy and approach to sustainability, and we believe that is necessary. And as I've mentioned about the ESG standards and ESG frameworks of the small mid-cap companies, we feel that they suffer from fixed, um, what I call fixed rating frameworks. And that's actually quite sad. So for us, what we do is we believe that standardized frameworks of external rating and data providers, although they have improved significantly, they still have difficulties in taking into account the complexities and nuances of a real company. For smaller companies in particular, over-reliance on such fixed frameworks can easily lead to overlooking significant risks or missing attractive opportunities. As I mentioned, we released our last year, our ESG study, the small mid-cap conundrum. And if the listeners are you know, happy, they could go online. I will, you know, There's a link and they can read that paper in detail. I'd like to uh, focus a little bit on the engagement process that you use with companies. That's a very important part of the overall approach that, that the best asset management firms always take with ESG. Uh, if you could walk us through the four distinct steps of that process, I think that would be very helpful to us understanding better and share your thoughts on their value to the firm's portfolio construction process. Yeah, sure. So um, so for us, the first step is the research we do on companies. So portfolio managers and the ESG office, we conduct research on the companies using various I would say various sources. So either directly from the company, broker research analysts, or even what we have is we even use data providers such as MSCI ESG. So the first step is this research. The second step we have um, is what I would call the prioritization of engagements. So in this aspect, we have, in my view, um, three distinct ways of engagement. So the first is usually when we would require more information of either the sustainability profile of the company or for more clarifications of certain ESG issues or even on impact metrics. So ESG analysis for us is part and parcel of our regular analysis of companies. And this type of engagement happens frequently. So that's the first type. The second is based on our ESG controversy monitoring strategy. So we've actually implemented that in Berenberg overall. So as part of this strategy, we use um, data provided by MSCI ESG to identify companies that are associated with very serious ESG controversies or what we call red flags. Now, part of this overall strategy is that we exclude all companies that are involved in this. On top of this, I have to mention, as we are talking about exclusions in general, we also have an extensive ESG exclusion criteria in order to avoid certain risks arising from controversial businesses or problematic business practices. You know, these are what we call the normal um, negative exclusions. Just, mm -hmm. just to give and you know, just to give everyone an idea, we do also use that, and we have a detailed exclusion ESG policy available as well on our website. So. That's the second distinct part of our, um, I mean, I talked earlier about three distinct ways. The first one is engagement with companies to get more information. The second is on controversy monitoring. So the third step is where we actually enter to dialogue with companies. Now, 
as I mentioned earlier, we have this prioritization of these engagements. One is between, you know, when we want to search for information for companies, when we want to, you know, talk to companies because of orange flags, and number three, because we want to engage with companies on corporate governance issues that has been basically highlighted due or from our proxy voting policy analysis. So the third step is actually entering into dialogue with the companies. And this to me is very interesting because at Berenbeck, we have, um, you know, our portfolio managers are active portfolio managers. So they have a lot of contact with CEOs, CFOs, and especially right now as ESG is booming, sustainability is booming. We have direct, you know, direct conversations with head of, head of IRs who are actually having a lot to do with sustainability. So this is either done via face-to-face, via emails, group meetings, telephone conversations, and so forth. What I have to say is quite important for us is that the engagement, even though I say it's done by portfolio managers, the ESG office actually conducts engagement together with the portfolio uh, portfolio managers. And this is what I call a very good synergy because then we're able to discuss the analysis, we're able to discuss what went on together and and in the end decide if we do want to continue uh, continue being invested in the company, continue maybe to sell the company, and so forth, or even to continue to monitor that. Okay, good. So now let's explore this whole idea of engagement a little more in depth uh, with perhaps uh, an example of how your office plus the portfolio management teams engage in this process together. I'm not asking for company names, but if you could walk us through a scenario, one that uh, has happened or one that you're (laughs) anticipating. uh, And um, that I think that helps our investor and advisor communities and listeners to understand much better how you pursue this engagement process. Uh, And it, it seems to me that that has increased, as you mentioned, over the last couple of years since the COVID-19 pandemic began, uh, on the social side especially, we've been really focusing, a lot of asset managers have been focusing a lot of attention on uh, controversy, on monitoring companies more closely related to environmental issues for many years. But especially on the social side, that's been happening, that's been more and more effective and more frequent since the pandemic started. So give us an example. Paul, this is, in my view, a really good question. So, um, you know, ESG continues to evolve. And as you've duly mentioned, you know, what investors' interest in ESG has grown, so too have expectations of what and how ESG investments should be delivered. But typically, the social or, you know, as you've mentioned, the S of ESG has always lagged the environmental or the E in the context of investment decisions. And I've seen that over the years. However, the pandemic has prompted many to re-evaluate the way in which they consider ESG and more attention has been being put on social issues, you know, social issues such as working conditions, fair pay and equality. Although the environment aspect of the ESG, especially tackling climate change, remains a focal point, especially with COP26 recently, COVID-19 appears to have sharpened the focus on social aspects. So I agree with your statement because, interestingly, we just launched this year our latest research on attitudes to ESG among investors, and we found 
that yes, the S was recognized as more significant following the outbreak of the pandemic. So this year, we conducted a survey amongst um, investment community to explore, you know, what they think of ESG and which part of the ESNG, you know, during the pandemic has affected them in terms of investment. And we actually, um, we had about 112 respondents were primarily from the UK and Germany. And this included a mix of asset managers, family offices, charities, and private investors. And 47% considered that the social aspect or the social element of ESG to be more significant after the outbreak. So in regards to your question, we have seen an increase in S controversy issues related to the pandemic, especially with our ESG controversy monitoring that we have in place. And I'll provide here an example of an engagement that we have conducted in this regard. So this engagement had a productive outcome as the company was able to credibly state how they have tackled workers' health and safety. I'm not going to name names here or I'm going to name the company. That's fine. <laughs> but, you know, so the controversy, as I said, it was actually flagged by our flagging system using MSCI ESG. And part of our strategy is we have to engage with these companies directly. And this is what we did together with our portfolio management team. So what was the controversy about? So it was actually allegations against the company during, of course, the corona pandemic time. Oh, we are actually going through the pandemic, but this was um, in the mid of last year. It was due to an alleged lack of security and hygiene protection at different locations. And one of it was that, you know, in Philippines where this company is overseas, um, workers were sleeping in offices and rarely left the office, which for us, it's kind of a tick of why is that happening. In India, there were reports about pressures on workers having to come into the office despite curfews. So we thought this was a serious accusation and we wanted to deal and talk to the company about this. So we insisted to talking to the company directly and with our engagement, we were able to, you know, ask the question, we were able to ask the company and ask them, please tell us what is going on here. So what they have come back to us, and we found that it was actually productive and very quite happy that we've had this conversation with the company, is that they have informed us that in Philippines, as I said earlier, it was alleged that the workers were sleeping in the office and rarely left the workplace, is that actually the workers requested to be accommodated of the office because of strict government curfews, and they actually wanted to be there. So this company arranged for accommodation for the workers, even had medical staff at the office, ensured that there was strict security and hygiene measures to actually help the workers, to ensure that they could actually stay in the office because they had curfew and they couldn't leave the office. So they were trying to actually help the workers. And, you know, I'm not going to say that that's good enough, but we are continuing to monitor this. And if this is true, and we're doing that, especially now, and the second one was the um, alleged that, you know, in India, that there were reports about pressures on workers to come into the office despite curfews. Now, what the company has come back to us and said is that the allegations is actually, you know, it referred to as actually voluntary and it wasn't a mandatory government curfew. So the employees actually wanted to come into the office anyway. So it wasn't what the it wasn't that the company had forced them, but the employees wanted to come in. So about 66% of workers in India are working from home. The company obtained an official approval to have workers on site if they wanted to be, 
and introduce strict and security and hygiene measures. So these conversations that we had with the company was, in my, my view, good because we were able to get productive feedback. And once we made the assessment together with the portfolio management team, we decided there was no need for action at the moment. That was last year but we will continue to monitor the company and we're continuing to do that. So that is an example of, you know, how the S during the pandemic time, you know, the controversies has been increasing and this is what we're doing. Good. Well, that's, that's very helpful to understanding your process. And uh, also you, you mentioned the 2021 ESG investor survey. In that survey that you did, 62% of participants said that they make public market ESG investment choices based on the current and future impact measurement of portfolio strategies. So we've got time for one quick example. Uh, Rupini, of okay. uh, of how impact measurement frameworks are used in your ESG office analytics process. Can you give us a quick example of that? Oh, I wish I had more time to say this because impact measurement actually lies in my heart. <laughs> and we have been doing this for, for many years and trying to understand uh, what impact measurement means. And that is why at Berenberg, we actually developed our own framework because we felt that um, after research and, and going to data providers that it was not enough. And we had a qualitative input, which we wanted to give into impact measurement. So if I could very quickly tell you, we use our propriety, Berenbeck, what I call Berenbeck net impact model to basically quantify positive and potentially negative impact our portfolio holdings have. Um, we have what we call, we cover UN SDGs with our impact and specifically these SDGs are important because we want to ensure which SDGs are investable. And we focus on four global challenges for this impact, and that is demographics and health, responsible use of resources, climate protection, and sustainable economic growth and innovation. Now, we have our impact framework. It's all available online, which goes through in detail of how we measure it, our methodology, and so forth. The net impact score in the end, what we have is between negative three and three. And three basically relates to a net impact score that demonstrate a strong positive impact and no sufficient or no um, offset or no, no negative impact. So um, we have, um, I would say, for a couple of our funds which have a positive impact um, strategy, um, these funds all have um, a positive impact report we uh, connected to it. I hope that gave or would give the viewer and the listeners a little bit of understanding of our impact framework, but I wish I had more time to go through this. Well, that's okay. We'll, we'll come back another time and, and catch up on that part of your work. Uh, for now, though, I think we're, we're nearing the end of today's program. So if you would tell our listeners how they can learn more about Berenberg's ESG office for the Wealth and Asset Management Group, uh, and where they can find information on that online, and also how they can reach you with questions about what we have discussed today. Yep, sure. So um, feel free to go to berenbeck.de, which is B-E-R-E-N, B-E-R-E-N. 
g.de and there you could go straight away to uh, wealth and asset management and there is an esg site or website and there there will be all the information on our esg policies uh, our studies that we have released in the last couple of years and of course my contact details as well so to the listeners out there feel free to contact me especially on the impact side if you want to hear more on how we've developed it and what we have gone gone through to actually be where we are now feel free to do that Great. Well, thank you very much, Rupini Rajagopalan, the head of the ESG office at Berenberg Wealth and Asset Management. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Sustainable.